Well, we are in part two of a series called I Declare War. And what we're looking at in this series is that while you might have a list of enemies in your life, especially in an election season, you might you know, have certain lists of people or political parties on your list. What we saw last week is that the one enemy that we all have in common, the, perhaps though the worst enemy that we all have, is the enemy within. Thanks so much to Adam and Eve. Uh, we all were born with what's called a sinful nature so that the things we want to do, we know we should do, we don't do. The things that we don't want to do, we know we shouldn't do, we end up doing. So quite simply, what we saw last week is that enemy number one is the enemy within. And this is the enemy that we all have to battle, we all have to face. So many of the battles we face are either won or lost in the mind. And today what we want to do is simply give you a framework for how to deal with the thoughts within and how to manage those. So as we get into this message, I'm going to work with two assumptions. The first assumption is that you agree with what's on the screen right now, that you agree that you have a big enemy within you and that you have experienced what that's like for your life. You've gone through times, days, seasons, phases where you have wrestled with your very own thoughts and you didn't know why you were doing what you were doing. So that's my first assumption, that you recognize the enemy within. And my second assumption is that you're going to agree with what I'm about to put on the screen. I'm going to give you full disclosure. This next phrase, uh, number one on your sheets or on your uh, PDFs or handouts, Number one is not a phrase I came up with. It is something that I'm borrowing slash stealing from another pastor who came up with this phrase. The reason I don't feel bad about this is because this phrase isn't going to teach you anything. It's something that I believe we all agree with already. It goes like this. You will follow, your life will follow the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life naturally follows, it always follows the direction of your strongest thoughts. And I don't have to explain that a whole lot, I don't think, because we all kind of get it, that our thoughts drive our behavior. Whatever comes into your mind comes out into your life. You cannot have a positive life if you have a negative mind. The thoughts that we have inside of us are something that will lead the, the path, lead the, the trail for, for our, our life to follow. Your life will follow the direction of your strongest thoughts. Now, to illustrate this just real quickly, uh, all I have to do is tell you a quick story from my high school years. Um, the, the, the invitation is for you just in this moment to think of something from your past that is really embarrassing, like a, something you did that you could have avoided that was really embarrassing. And for me, like 90% of those stories are from when I was in high school. So... As I think back to high school, one thing that I remember very vividly is the first couple of weeks of high school, I was in football. This is my freshman year. I was like a hundred and I don't know how many pounds. I was light. But anyway, that's not the point of this story. I was in high school and we had two-a-day practices for the first couple of weeks. And then we also started school the second week. And so just the other thing to keep in mind is that I was actually living in a dorm for high school, which is a whole, there's a lot of stories there, but um, Hopefully none of my high school classmates ever come to this church because it'd be interesting. But um, as I was going through the second week of school, I realized that with two-a-day practices, I was quickly running out of clothes to the point where as I got up in the morning to get ready for school one day, I noticed all of my clothes were dirty. 
all of them were sweaty and nasty from football practice. And so what does ninth grade Matt do? do? He, he takes uh, one of his old sweaty shirts and he takes some Axe body spray and just sprays it all over that thing. I show up to school with a sweaty shirt on that reeks of body odor and Axe body spray, perhaps the two worst combinations that you could come up with. I didn't have a girlfriend till junior year. <laughs> That's probably good for more than one reason. But as you think back in your mind, you could probably think of a moment where you did something extraordinarily embarrassing and it just kind of crushes you every time you think about it. Here's what you're not wondering. You don't ask the question. What I'm not asking is, what was I doing? I know exactly what I did. The question I have and the question that you have is, what was I thinking? What thoughts must have been going through my head that my life followed in suit? Because... Your life will always follow your strongest thoughts. So, quite often we don't ask, what was I doing? We wrestle with the question, what was I thinking? Now, it's kind of fun to think of an embarrassing moment and ask the question, what was I thinking? The more difficult thing is to think to an episode of guilt or shame or regret. And you know exactly what it is you were doing. But to this day, you maybe can't forgive yourself because you don't know what you were thinking. Enemy number one is the enemy within. And this is so important because your life will follow the direction of your strongest thoughts. What's interesting, one thing from last week I want to quickly refresh you with is that when the Apostle Paul was going through this whole talk about the enemy within and how to address it, What's interesting is how he leads us to address this enemy. And it's different. It's different than the other enemies that we face. So here's a quick recap of what Ben talked about last week. This is from 2 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul says that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. They're not swords. They're not clubs. It's not physical armor. The weapons we fight with demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is not a physical war. Our war is not against flesh and blood. This is a war with the enemy within. It's mindsets. It's thoughts. And what Paul so interestingly points to is how to face this enemy. Um, Quick quick, uh, question. So when the Bible talks about your enemy, the devil, do you know how it tells you to react, to fight back? It doesn't tell you to take him captive. It tells you to flee. He is an enemy that you have to flee from. When it talks about the world, not the people in the world, not your neighbors, but the the, the worldviews, the the cultural society norms that veer away from God, it it tells you to separate, to to separate from that and to maintain your view on, on God. But here's what I know. When it comes to the enemy of your thoughts, this isn't an enemy that you can separate yourself from. And when it comes to the enemy of your thoughts, we can't flee from this enemy. No amount of spending money will get you to flee from your thoughts. No amount of substances will allow you to permanently flee from this enemy of your thoughts. The only thing that you can do with your thoughts is, as the Apostle Paul said, to, to take them captive to declare war on them and to make them obedient to the will and thoughts of God himself. But how do you do that? (laughs) Well, I'm going to jump to the very end conclusion 
I'm going to put a word out there that will make some of you a little uncomfortable. But the only way to declare war on your thoughts and to make them submit, to make them obedient, is through this thing called meditation, to meditate. And some of you are wondering right now, to meditate, it, there's a lot of baggage that goes along with that. You know, Eastern meditation, Western meditation, what, there's so many different varieties of it. We'll get to what it is in just a little bit. But what I want to focus on is that some of you might be shrinking back from this idea of meditation because it's going to be awkward to confront some of the thoughts that you've been trying to ignore. And I totally get it. I totally get it. So what I want to do is just share with you one powerful section of just four verses where the Apostle Paul, about six years after he wrote what we just read, writes something else that has everything to do with proper meditation and how it can help you to make your thoughts obedient and to take them captive. So in the interest of using war terms, because this series is all about declaring war, as you declare war on your thoughts, there's two things we have to do. We have to disarm and train. Disarming your thoughts, taking away their power so that you can train them, align them in the way that God wants them to be aimed. Disarming your thoughts so that you can make sure that they're leading you down the life that you want to go down and the life that God wants you to live. So we have to disarm and train, disarm and train. And as you declare war on your thoughts, what we're going to find is the Apostle Paul actually shifts the focus from where we thought it would be. So we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3. This is about six, seven years after that uh, verse that we just read, where the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Colossae, and there were two things going on with these Christians. They were being told that Jesus wasn't quite as important as he should, as they were told, and they were being told that they should focus more on philosophies and wisdom and the knowledge and the traditions that they were being taught. So focus off of Christ, focus more on themselves and what they could do with their thoughts. And this is so interesting because he comes in to teach them and us how to disarm and retrain, disarm and aim as we think about the way our thoughts lead us through life. So I got so excited when I read these first couple verses, and maybe you'll see why. Uh, Verses one and two. He says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And the reason this just got me excited, number one, I'm a geek when it comes to reading stuff like this, and I get excited easily. Uh, the, The second thing is that this is so practical, so easy. It's so easy to think about meditation is, is the process of thinking about things above, think, not things below. Setting your heart and your mind, as Paul says here, your heart and your mind on things above, not on earthly things. It is so, so easy to, to focus on this that you only aim or you only hit what you're aiming for. And it's like if you're aiming for the things down here, you're not going to reach the ultimate um, those two fr- uh, phrases also, set your hearts on things above. It's this idea that your, your, your desires are being aimed towards heaven. It reminds me of the psalm, what does earth have besides you? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. This world is nothing compared to what we have in God. Set your hearts on him. And also set your mind. The, the Greek word for setting your mind, it uh, basically has to do with your thoughts. Set your thoughts on things above, not on things below. But the Greek word for thoughts isn't just, oh, I have an idea or I have a thought that crosses my mind. It's like the, the collection of your thoughts 
that form your personal agenda. Now, that's a key word for this text, this, this, this uh, section. You, you do have a personal agenda. An, an agenda is simply how you take your own thoughts and worldviews and then you put them into practice in your daily life. Um, if you have a thought in your mind that your heart is set on a certain someone, again, I'll go back to high school. You got your crush, well, you'll probably wear X body spray in the morning because that's your agenda, right? To, to go near them and to, to be with them. Whatever your heart is set on, your agenda will follow. Whatever your mind, your thoughts are set on, so your plans will unfold. You have a personal agenda. Sometimes we use that word in a bad sense because it's like you have something hidden that you're trying to accomplish without anyone knowing. But in reality, an agenda is simply how you take your ideas, your thoughts, and you put them into action in your life. So what this phrase is, or what this section is simply telling us, be aware of your agenda. Set your hearts, set your minds on things above And I did a lot of thinking on this and a lot of like, ooh, there's some good application from this. But I just missed the most important part of these two verses. The part that maybe is hard to understand. What if we put the focus somewhere else? Here's the same verse. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ. What does that mean? Raised, you've been raised with Christ. Christ. Let's keep reading. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, where Christ is. He is seated at the right hand of God. What I found is that as you work through these two verses and also the other two, you actually get the entire story of everything major that Jesus did. You see all the major articles that we just read about or talked about in the Apostles' Creed, if you were in part of the service this morning. We see him What we see in these verses, it's referenced his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his sitting at the right hand of God, and that he will come again one day. We see all these things in four short verses. Why is that? (laughs) Because when we shape our personal agenda so often, it's how do I get through today? Or how do I get through tomorrow? Or how do I plan for retirement? Or how am I going to travel in my retirement? So many different things. Our personal agendas can just focus on temporary goals. What we need to know is there is a greater agenda that you are brought into. In these short four verses, what is made so clear is that what God has done, he did for you. So that all of a sudden, your personal agenda isn't quite so important. Here's what we see. Number two, God completing his agenda takes the pressure off of yours. His thoughts, get this, his thoughts were on you. He did not set his mind and his heart on things above. He set his heart and mind on things below where you were. And because his heart and his mind were on you, his personal agenda was to come into this world to rescue you from it. His agenda is completed that's what we see as, as these, re- these verses reference his death and burial and resurrection and ascension. And sitting at the right hand of God, sitting at God's right hand means he's done working. There's nothing more to do. He's seated. His work is finished. God has completed his agenda for you. And that takes the pressure off of yours. One of my summer jobs growing up was working in a, um, 
a warehouse where we refurbished hospital equipment. And I think I've told stories about that before. But uh, one of the things that we did was lots of painting. And one of the main tools we had in our warehouse was a giant air compressor. Like, not the kind you just roll around your garage, but, you know, the kind that's it's big. It's big. So every once in a while, since this was down in Oklahoma, we would have to get all the air out and drain it from water because the humidity would, would get filled up in there. And the first time I did it, I think they, they were, you know, just messing with me, but they said, you know, Matt, go ahead and, you know, let the air out. So I grabbed the hose, and I just pulled the hose off. And if you know anything about air compressors, all the air that was compressed in there came out basically right in my face. It was just this huge gush of air, and I'm, I'm glad I didn't get hurt and that I still have both of my eyes. And it was only later that they told me, oh, yeah, by the way, there's this little valve you can turn to slowly let the air out so that it's not so violent and dangerous. But um, there's a lot of pressure in there. And a lot of times that's what it feels like when you're trying to sort through your thoughts and figure out what you're supposed to do in your life. Sometimes it's a struggle to figure out our agenda and sort through all the thoughts that we're trying to do and and trying to submit them and make them obedient and figure them all out. But it takes so much pressure off when we realize that our life story is simply one part of God's agenda that he has already finished. The pressure is off of you. And as you rest on what everything Jesus did for you, now you start to be able to think, think about things differently and, and, and take those thoughts and make them obedient to him. In this next part, we're, we're going to see how Paul takes us down a different path than what we started with. It, it's true that your life always follows the direction of your strongest thoughts. But what if we looked at life differently? Here's what he said. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Because, here's why you should do that. Because you died. Now, I believe that when those first uh, Christians in Colossae were having this read to them, they, I'm sure somebody raised their hand and says, did you read that right? Because you said that we died, and we didn't die. We're still here. We're good. And the point here was not that they had faced an earthly death, but something different. It says, you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You died because Jesus died. And by faith, what happened to him has also happened to you. So as you think about your life and the way it was going, you died. And now you have a different life, a life that is hidden with Christ in God. Just as Jesus' body was hidden in the grave for three days, but then came back to life, for a moment, your life is hidden with God. The inheritance he has for you is very real, but for now it's hidden. It's hidden with Christ in God. And the good news is this, next verse, that when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. His resurrection, his ascension, his second coming, your life is in him. So it's true that your life always follows the direction of your strongest thoughts. But what if your life was not really your life? What if you were able to take that life and, and, and switch it to a life that's not yours, but is very much yours in Christ? Here's what the Apostle Paul is telling us. While it's true 
that our life follows the direction of our strongest thoughts. What if we could do this? Number three, what if we could train our thoughts to follow the direction of your life? What if our life moved to the front, the life that God has given us, and then we take that and we make our thoughts align with it? Um, quite often what we see uh, in, our, in ourselves is we often glob on to a, a lie of some sort, uh, the lie that uh, people have to approve of you in order for you to be valuable, the, the lie that um, you have to be perfect in order for your work to, to matter. These lies that we can just consume ourselves with. But when your life is your life, it, when your life is Jesus, it will make your thoughts submit to his truth. So what if you could train your thoughts to follow the direction of him who is your life? So I'm going to give you just a quick personal application, how I'm applying this whole concept and what this means for meditation. And we'll get really practical here. The disclaimer is that my personal application probably isn't all that practical for many of you. I'm just giving you one example of of what this has meant for me. So what I've recently had to do in my life is I've had to implement a new personal rule. I haven't even told this to Amy, but I've had to implement a new personal rule because of a great weakness that I have. I'm very disorganized. <laughs> I'm very forgetful. In fact, if you've, it's probably fun. Like if you ever show up to a service early, you'll see me like speed walking everywhere because my mind is just in 10 different places and I'm trying to do 10 different things and I can't just focus on where I am. So anyway, The rule that I've implemented for my life is the before I leave the room rule. It simply goes like this, that when I am getting ready for the day, when I'm showered, when I'm getting dressed, what I often do is I'll just grab my socks, I'll grab my belt, I'll grab my shirt, and I'll just run downstairs because I want to get coffee, I want to do other things, I want to check email. So I'll just grab those things, I'll put them down, I'll grab my coffee, I'll go get my email, and then I'll come back and I'll say, where would I put my socks? Where's my belt? Where did I put my shirt? Where is everything? And I would spend 10 minutes trying to undo what could have been done in one minute. So my before I leave the room rule is simply this, that before I leave my bedroom in the morning, I have my socks on, I have my belt on, I have my shirt on, my shirt is completely buttoned. That's the big thing for me, buttoning my shirt. It's little things, it's little things. But before I leave the room, I'm ready for the world to see me. Before I leave the room, I'm ready for the world to see me. What I, when I put that rule into effect... It was because I recognized that there's, <laughs> it would make for a more efficient day. And also, if we have guests in the house, they would probably like to see me ready for the world too. But as I got ready for this message, a thought struck me. So much more important than being presentable on the outside is being prepared on the inside. What if I were to implement this rule and apply it to my heart? Before I leave the house, before I leave my office, before I leave maybe the bedroom, I will prepare my heart for what is about to to happen that day. I will meditate for a moment to align my thoughts with him who is my life before I leave the room. The reason for this, the selfish reason for this, is that you'll have a better day when you take a moment to meditate. But that's not our reason for doing this. The reason for this is not to make the world a better place for you. The reason for meditating is to make you a better person for this world as a reflection of the way that God saved you. 
the, the reason for, for me doing this isn't so that I'm better for the day. It's so that I'm a better husband, a better parent, a better pastor, a better whatever. And this has a profound impact on everything that you do in your life. As important as it is to be presentable on the outside, what if you spent that same energy to be prepared on the inside? So here's what meditating looks like. It's so simple. And if you're taking notes, there's three things to write down. Three B's. And this is something I want you to do every day for one week. Just pretend this is a, a prescription from your doctor. It's just one week. Just try it out. See if it, see if it works. See if it feels better. And maybe you're already doing this. This is just a reinforcement of what you're already doing. But every day for one week, three things. Number one, be thankful. Take a moment to be thankful and legitimately thank God for some of the blessings that you have. There is power in thankfulness. And here's what we saw from last week too. It's impossible to be a victim, to have that victim mindset, if you can find things to be thankful for. You are a victor in Christ. Therefore, you can be thankful for the blessings that God has given you in some area of life and also spiritually. Be thankful. Make a list. Maybe write some things down. Maybe one thing a day. Make it simple. But be thankful. And that will put your heart into an attitude to see what God can do for you. The second thing is be repentant. Uh, Psalm 51 verses 1 through 6 is a great section where it works through what repentance looks like. That sorrow of the heart. That turning from sin and acknowledging it to God. And for some of you this might be a little bit of an awkward moment because you're not used to doing this personally or regularly. But here's what I know will happen. As you bring up the guilt that you're carrying inside... There's two, two ways to handle it. Way number one, you can carry it with you all day and be a horrible person to the people around you. <laughs> number two, you can bring the things that are bringing you guilt and shame and you can put them at the feet of your father. And he will not judge you for that. He will forgive you for that. He gives you forgiveness and life and peace. As you go to your father in repentance, it's okay not to list everything. Maybe just in that moment, you take a few minutes and think about the things from yesterday or the things coming up for that day, and you open up to your Father with a repentant heart. And then this next part is equally important. Not just to be repentant, but then to be restored. To allow the things that your God says of you to flow over you and to flow through you. Here's what I mean by that. That when your God says to you, your sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west, you take that and you apply it to yourself. Not just, oh good, God forgives me, but I forgive me. I forgive myself. I forgive myself yesterday for what I did. And I don't just forgive myself, but I love that version of me who fell into sin. I love them and I forgive them. And as you restore who you are, it changes the way you see the world. And it changes the way the world will see you for sure. So be thankful. Be repentant. Be restored. Use Psalm 51 as some powerful words where it says, Create in me a new heart, O God. Give me the joy of your salvation. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. You have these powerful, powerful phrases in Psalm 51 that will help you to meditate in a way that is thankful and repentant and restored. 
And the whole end goal of all this is simply to take captive every thought. To disarm every thought so that you have a moment to be able to make sure it is aligned in a direction that your God wants your life to go and in a way that you want to go. Take, every, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Because his ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. His thoughts were on you. His agenda is completed. All we have to do is sit in the joy and peace of that good news. And I hope you can join us again next week for part three. We're going to get into the whole idea of thinking about things differently by reframing the picture. And it's amazing sometimes the power that can come along with changing the frame on the picture you're looking at. For today, let's close with prayer. Dear Father, in um, today's message, it gave, definitely gave me a lot to think about in applying this. And ultimately, it, the application just falls down to having five or ten minutes every day to sit quietly, to be okay with facing the thoughts that are within us, and to using your power for making them submit and taking them captive. So what I uh, pray for the people is the same thing I pray for myself, that uh, you would give us the wisdom to set aside that time. Give us the, the, the wisdom to see the importance of that. So much more important than being presentable to the world is, is being prepared on the inside. And the end goal, again, is not so that the world is better for us or so that we have a better day, but it's so that the people in our lives will be blessed through us. So give us all wisdom and the courage to declare war on our thoughts, to take them captive and make them obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen.